Profiles in Teaching with Technology is a podcast series created by Music First, a company dedicated to providing world-class cloud-based tools, content, and classroom management platforms to music teachers around the world. Each episode features a K-12 music educator who uses technology to enhance their teaching in innovative ways. We'll discuss the what, why, and how of their technology integration and hopefully share some teaching strategies that you can use in your own classroom. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. There you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms, as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial. Will Kuhn serves as instructor of music technology at the University of Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music and music department coordinator at Lebanon High School in Lebanon, Ohio. In 2006, he designed an innovative high school music tech curriculum focused on amateur music production, which involves over 300 students annually. His lab-based courses and student projects are regularly featured at regional music education events. He was named Time Teacher of the Year in 2015 and currently serves as the organization's national president. His book, Interactive Composition with VJ Manzo, is widely used by producers and instructors trying to incorporate Max for Live into electronic music styles. Nationally, he gives clinics and workshops on revitalizing school music programs for the 21st century. Ethan Hine is a doctoral fellow in music education at New York University and an adjunct professor of music at NYU and the New School. As a founding member of the NYU Music Experience Design Lab, Ethan has taken on a leadership role in the development of online tools for music learning and expression, most notably the Groove Pizza. Together with Will Kuhn, he is the co-author of Electronic Music School, Empowering Student Creativity, forthcoming from Oxford University Press. He maintains a widely followed blog at ethanhine.com. He leads professional development sessions for schools across the U.S. on music technology, creativity, and decolonizing the curriculum, and his writing is assigned in college syllabi around the world. This week, it is my great pleasure to welcome two fantastic music educators who I've known both for a long time, tons of respect for both of their work, uh, Ethan Hine and Will Kuhn. Uh, welcome to the podcast. I'm really happy to be talking to both of you today. Thanks for having us. So um, in order, I mean, I don't know, I mean, who doesn't know what you guys do, but maybe for the, for the listeners who may not know, um, I'd love, uh, let's start with Ethan. If you can give us like, um, you know, the five, 10 minute thumbnail sketch of, uh, of your road to, uh, you know, in, in music, whether from high school and, and to where you are now, that'd be great. Um, so I am the, uh, the paradigmatic school music dropout who uh, I, I bagged on orchestra in the ninth grade and found my way back in through like, you know, self-taught guitar and harmonica and mandolin and banjo and lots of other things. And was like a musician and a bum through my twenties, uh, like playing in bands, playing rock and jazz and country and funk and whoever else would have me. Um, and then got into production just because, hey, you could like record stuff in your house on your computer instead of spending a thousand dollars an hour in a studio. Um, exactly. And discovered that there is a lot you can do in the computer boy. Um, and then went uh, back to school in my thirties, uh, 
the got a master's in music tech at NYU and was planning to be a tech guy. I was planning, I wanted to end up at a company like Ableton or somewhere like that. Um, but instead found out that I am a lousy computer programmer and a terrific teacher and started getting college teaching gigs and I'm now working on a doctorate in music education at NYU and teaching music education at NYU and music theory at the new school and some stuff on the internet for various people. And yeah, here we are. Awesome. Uh, I, yeah, I love, we're, we're practically, uh, you know, in New York City, for those that don't know it very well, there's NYU at the Southern uh, end and there's Teachers College at the top. And we're somewhat rivals, if you will, for the master's degree students. But uh, I, I'm, I've always been a big fan of your work, Ethan, and I'm, I'm really, uh, I, I love I love hearing about um, how you got there. Uh, Will, um, you and I met quite a few years ago. I'd love for you to give your uh, kind of brief bio as well. Oh, man. Okay. So I, I went to college to be, I, I'm kind of like the anti like version of Ethan where I went to traditional music college, fully training and expecting to be a band director. Um, and I was a junior high band director for a couple of years. And uh, in our district, an opportunity came about through a lot of different serendipity to have a music technology class. So I ended up having to kind of write all the rules for that um, because it was a very, you know, early day as we're talking like 2005, I think was the first we started planning that class. Um, there really weren't that many templates to go off of. So starting then I, I, I was doing this class about half of my day, uh, realizing that we're hitting like a different demographic of students and uh, eventually it became my whole schedule. And uh, I, yeah, this how I got into doing music tech just at all. It's kind of funny because, you know, in the professional sense, back in the day, I would you know, write arrangements for marching bands and things like that. So I was familiar with things like Sibelius and things like that, um, using MIDI controllers to write then. Um, but like growing up, I was really into techno, really into electronic music. I was, you know, I, I had a drum machine. I was, you know, following IRC channels of like European techno people just like <laughs> trying to get in their world a little bit. Uh, so it's like when, it, when the opportunity came up, all these memories kind of floated, flooded back of like, oh yeah, we could make this kind of music. We can make that kind of music. And, and so I had kind of like a weird personal background to draw from. Uh, and that eventually became like the way I teach is trying to do those kinds of projects and teach that kind of music uh, rather than trying to shoehorn technology into traditional music. So that's that's kind of my story. Yeah, and I love, uh, you know, the, the common thread between the three of us, and I think between, you know, if you were to put a whole bunch of music technology enthusiasts together in a room, say something like a TMEA time kind of thing, in my opinion, the common thread between all of them is that you're musicians first, um, you figured out, hey, I can make a living being a music teacher. And then through some kind of serendipity, you went, hey, the, the side thing that I've always been really interested, I was a synth nerd, I wanted to be a rock, you know, keyboard player. And I, and I loved um, my Roland Juno 106 was my first keyboard. 
um, and could just completely obsessed with the whole idea of creating sound with electronics and, and computers. Um, but I, I think, I don't know what your take on this will be, but it was this moment where I went, wait a minute, I can combine this thing that I have on the side that I totally love with my job, right? I can say, yeah. hey, you know, yeah. <laughs> people might be really interested in this too. And I don't know why more, I mean, obviously we're living in COVID time, so everyone's had to do it. But it was this kind of, you know, it's a, it's a small group of like, like-minded folks who went, wait a minute, I can combine these two things that I love and the kids will like it. I don't know, Ethan, what your thoughts are on that. Uh, I mean, I like arrived in this, like right at the moment when everybody, when like at, at the higher ed level, everybody was like, oh man, we got to do this. So my first music tech teaching job was at uh, Montclair State University in New Jersey. Oh, cool. And, you know, they have a terrific music school, but they're... <laughs> Um, it's, I'm an, I'm an, that's my alma mater. And I used to teach that class before you many years ago. That's very cool. Yeah. And you know, they like, it was one of these things where the music department acceded to it reluctantly. Yep. Right. Like they had to kind of have their arm twisted from on high. The students, meanwhile, were just like, oh, this is awesome. I mean, <laughs> There was a brief period when they opened it to enrollment for non-music majors and it was mobbed, right? I'm sure. I mean, people from across the university, it was a kind of a fun year when they did that because I had like all these history majors and like communications majors, people who had never touched a musical instrument before. Um, and they did great, actually. Those people tended to really do well in the class. Yep. Um, but yeah, just the enthusiasm and the energy coming from the students is really a, a treat. Yeah, yeah Will, so, what did, you know, you say, I think we're all in the same boat, right? Well, yeah, I was going to say like well, something about how you phrased that question. It brought back a memory of like, it's like I started to notice there was like a disconnection between tools that were being made for like making techno. Like, uh, like I remember in high school downloading this, this program called Rebirth. Oh yeah. That was like <laughs> drum machines and like an acid base basically. And and then at the same time, you know, in music school, I'm, I'm digging into Finale and Sibelius <clears throat> and like, obviously for different tasks, right? <laughs> and like, but then when I started to like arrange music, I started to realize like, not only that, but I'm kind of not using a lot of the things that I was told I needed from like music theory class and composition class. Like I'm just, I'm using a little more of like these these like by ear technical skills to get the music to sound right before I hand it out to kids. So I mean, even before I was doing music tech, I was realizing like there's a big mismatch between like the tools and the tasks uh, and how we want to do that. So like when I started saying like this class is going to be for writing music with kids, and then you know add to that most of them aren't musicians already. It's like oh yeah, the rules are already out the window before we even say that last part. So it's yep. like, let's, let's just like start with what, you know, the enthusiasts are doing out there. And, you know, I think that was like before we even could get GarageBand on the computers back in 06, it was like some online drum machine that I found that was a little bit like rebirth. I'm like, oh yeah, let's play around with this for a little while. And that became like, you know, just a feature of the classes, like we're going to be using stuff like this. Yeah, I've always found that like when I was an undergrad and I'll, we'll, 
I'm sorry to dwell on this, but it's really cool to talk to very like-minded folks on this, is that when, when I was an undergrad, if you said, what is the literal worst job in the world you can have as a music teacher? Like, what is the pit, the very bottom, the seventh circle of hell? I would have said middle school general music. That was it. Like, that was, there's yeah. nothing I wanted to teach less than middle school general music. And, and a lot of people teach it that way. I know, well, like, it's I, a terrible exactly. thing to do. And as soon as I brought technology into it, my class went from being the, 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 the class that students were like, please God, may this be, may this class be over um, to the favorite part of the cycle. Like they could yeah. not wait to get to music class and all the parents would be like, why? And, I, and then I'd say, well, come to back to school night and see the room. And they were like, oh my God, I would live in here. I was like, mm -hmm. exactly. So it's, it's interesting. I, I hope that more people um, uh, uh jump in or lean into uh, music technology with kids. I mean, it's yeah, just... I mean, over the years, I've heard more than one administrator say something to the effect of like, well, kids just aren't as into music here. And it's like, well, no, <laughs> you're wrong. Kids are into music. They're all listening to music. That's not yep. the problem. Exactly. All right. So um, what I'd love to do, because you guys wrote a book called Electronic Music School, uh, published by Oxford University Press. And I had the the absolute privilege of, uh, of reading through it and reviewing it. It's, it's extraordinary. But before we get into that, you're both active educators. And because I think a lot of teachers are still, even a year into this uh, mess, still trying to navigate what they're doing, I'd love for both of you, before we get into what you did with that, uh, with your book, I'd love to, like, what is your current teaching situation and how have you handled the COVID thing. So it's cool because Ethan, you're in the higher ed kind of um, tier and, and Will, you're in a, a very kind of hands-on, um, you know, the kids have to be in the room style thing. So I'd love to hear Ethan and then, and then Will, how you've handled this whole COVID thing with technology and, and the challenges you face. Um, so I've been, you know, fully remote since this all started. I mean, NYU is semi in person, but I'm still remote just because just because. Yep. And uh, the funny thing is my approach has not had to change that much um, because it was basically like y'all are making a bunch of music on your computers in class and at home. And during class time, I am talking to you about it and demonstrating stuff on the computer and listening to your projects. This is all stuff that works absolutely fine on Zoom. The yep. major limitation is we're limited to the software that the students have on their own computers at home, but I was trying to limit it to that kind of thing anyway, just for practical reasons, so that people could do their assignments off campus. Got it. Got um, it. So that means, yeah, a lot of Soundtrap, a lot of GarageBand. Yeah. and. The, you know, the, these online software tools, which I've been talking about since, two, since 2008, when I saw NoteFlight come out in October of 2008, my, I had just taken over the education division of Korg and, and, and we sold so much Sibelius and so much Finale. And I saw NoteFlight come out and I went, oh my God, <laughs> oh uh -oh. boy, <laughs> like this is the coolest thing I've ever seen, uh, you know. And the fact that for years I would go to sessions and people would be like, yeah, but you need this junk in the room, not junk, you know what I mean? They're like, you need all this gear in the room and that kind of eliminates a lot of schools that don't have that kind of money. 
yeah. So, I mean, you know, the cloud-based software, which a lot of people have been skeptical of, is, has been a lifesaver, certainly over the last year. Will, yeah. how have you dealt with it? Uh, kind of like through a midlife crisis, basically. I mean, <laughs> it's, exactly. it's been a rough year for me. I mean, our our district made, uh, well, you know, I, let's let's just say I've been a little disconnected from my normal schedule this Got it. year. Um, but uh, so the college class, it's very much like what Ethan was just saying. It's online. Uh, the difference with that is we've got push controllers there. So we just like loaned those out to the students. Oh, cool. All right. And so yeah, I was wondering. And we got like extended trials for everybody. So uh, that worked out actually kind of better than in person in some ways, because, uh, you know, being in control of the sound system on Zoom is actually somewhat better than some of the sound systems at the college I teach at. This is true. <laughs> so uh, that actually was kind of an interesting turn of events. I wasn't expecting that to feel like an improvement, but uh, it was, you know, as for the high school, I, you know, I've been able to keep the electronic music group together this year and uh, we're just getting back to doing in-person practices. Um, you know, the, everybody got kind of split their separate ways a little bit this year because yep. uh so i was actually uh, like i i'm still like doing my normal department chair stuff but um like another teacher is running the music tech one class this year and the advanced classes are just put on hold for a year wow. um yeah it was rough but you that's know it's bummer, cool. man. We, we've got electronic music groups still going on and that's like the light at the end of the tunnel so like that's i've been going in a couple times a week to get those guys back together and we've got a gig in may so that's kind of cool it's like starting to you know relax a little bit here yeah, i mean um, do you i mean because both of you guys i know um your uh ableton live which happens to be my single favorite piece of software period um, you know, that's the one thing that's been a real, I love the idea of the extended trial because I was, I, I'm teaching a class this fall and I've been racking my brain how on earth I would teach Ableton Live, you know, in an online yeah. environment where the, it's not on the local computers so that the trial worked and you're able to do at least some stuff. Yeah, I mean, the trial worked pretty well for us. Um, yeah, about halfway through the semester, I have to like email people a bunch of codes to like, right keep it going but yep. um they're you know as long as you've already established a program they're pretty supportive of it i don't know if like a brand new program if they would recognize it to yep. give you yep. that but um you know that's like a weird ableton thing i guess is, yeah you're also kind of real in with them aren't you so like i can yeah imagine. <laughs> like I, I don't know how they are with every single person using it but at least with me it was a good solution right so full disclosure don't everybody go running out thinking you can run ableton live for a semester on your computer yeah i don't know how long they're going to do that either yeah. they're still there because they're in germany they're very much locked down still so uh from their perspective like this is still going on forever like they yep. don't have vaccines in many people yet so all right yeah. all right so let's shift the conversation to this uh this book um norm hershey who is one of my favorite people in the industry sent me uh like a preview copy and said would you write uh kind of the you know some a review for the book jacket and i gotta tell you guys you you've created something that is so incredibly needed um, and there's only a handful of books out there that even come close to doing 
what you've done. So maybe Ethan, if you can start off, where did the idea for this book come from? And why don't you give us a, the 10,000 foot view of, uh, of, of what people might expect when they get it? So there are many people out there trying to establish music technology programs at various levels, and everybody is making it up as they go along. Yep. Right. Um, there are plenty of books about like how GarageBand works or, you know, how to do how microphones work, but there's not really a lot about the pedagogy of these things about music production and beat making and songwriting. Um, so it was a clear vacuum that needed to be filled and independently of each other, Will and I were both thinking, okay, I'm going to write that book. Like I'm going to write that guide for uh, starting a music tech program right. for somebody who is not from a producer background. Um, and Will called me up and said, Hey, I'm working on this proposal. And I think, Will, you should take the story from here. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. So I'm coming off of my like third rejection letter and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking like, you know, man, I just, I don't have the research background to pull off what I'm trying to pull off here because I had been teaching my program for you know 10 or so years at the time. And I was like, okay, I've learned so much. We've got this like good sustainable strategy for keeping these classes active and like pushing the boundaries all the time. But um, I was having a little trouble like writing it in a book myself because uh, I mean, it was just a mess. Like the original version had the word manifesto in the title. Oh, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was just a big old mess. And I, and I didn't have any research to back it up because I'm, you know, I'm a boots on the ground kind of guy. So uh, I'm looking through my feeds and me and Ethan had met, you know, and we, we were friends for a little while before this, but um, he posts something that is like, I've got an idea for a book and, you know, I needed to include lessons. Anybody got some lesson ideas? And I'm like, Ethan, I've got this book that has like 15 excellent lessons and no research to back it up. There you <laughs> it's go. like ready to go. Like Match made in heaven. Yeah, kind of. I mean, we really filled in the gaps of each other's like proposal ideas. Um, and I mean, Ethan is just like a brilliant researcher and writer. There are sections of this book where I know that the main contribution I did was coming up with like the paragraph headings. And then like, once he <laughs> was done with that part of the book, it's like this perfectly researched thing that fits what I tried that I wanted to say with those paragraph headings. I was like, man, this, this really worked out. So you should, you know, we feel like it's got a nice balance of, uh, here's the stuff a college teacher would need to, you know, say this is legitimate um this is well researched but it also has a lot of actionable uh things that a teacher can use and say like oh let me flip to this page and do this lesson it's funny that you mentioned that will and i'm sure ethan you feel the same way um or i i, I I'd, I'd imagine you do is there's just always this even in in the circles when i was looking into getting a job in academia people always kind of look down their noses at the music tech people, like any of our research wasn't really worthy or yes. there wasn't a, you know, and it just gets, it pissed me off. I'm going to be really honest because they dismiss it as, oh, these are toys that you're playing with. It's not serious, but man, am I right, Ethan? I mean, this is like, it, for whatever reason, there's this stigma that, um, that you, you know, that music tech research is like not a thing or I don't, I don't know. I mean, am I wrong? No, you absolutely aren't. I mean, okay, so there, 
there is an area in which music tech research is respected, and that is the area of electroacoustic composition, mm. right? Like 20th century avant-garde, Karl Heinz Stockhausen. That stuff is fine. Like that stuff is inside the, right. the, the castle. But pop music, yeah, forget it. It's untouchable. Yeah, it's, it's really frustrating. It, it, it's kind of a, a, a signal of the larger problems that are endemic to music education in the United States, but we'll steer away from that conversation at the moment um, and come back to, so what, you know, this, um, you know, the idea then, what I've just heard from you, Will, is that it's basically classroom tested lessons that you can take right out of the, you know, right off the shelf and, and start using with your kids, but um, it's research-based so that this, I mean, you know, saying, look, this is really sound pedagogy. Is that, was that a fair assessment? Yeah. 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 I think so. And, and I think the, the bigger picture is, uh, and we mentioned this throughout is our ideal version of you using the book would be to, to go and design your own lessons. So we try to teach the reader how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cause future proofing, to- right. That's always yeah. the challenge with. Yeah. Like yeah. This. Because it might not be in style to teach the, you know, some of the genres that are in this book, but we go, we come right up front with that and say like, here's how you get ahead of that problem to stay relevant. Um, and, and that's kind of a big discussion in the book is, is just how do you, uh, how do you both design the projects? And then just like, how do you keep a class that's based around pop music relevant going forward? which is tough for, you know, like we say in the book, two middle-aged dads uh, <laughs> trying to stay cool and relevant. Um, when, when, and, and without, yeah. getting, without getting right down a rabbit hole, with, with, with some factions of our profession thinking that it's, it's absolutely anathema to education to bring pop music into it. So I'm sure that uh, I, it's wonderful that Oxford University Press put this out. I, it, makes me, it makes me smile. And when Norm said, would you read? I was like, yes, absolutely. This is a very much needed review, but also kind of a jab at all the folks who thinks that, you know, it's not worth teaching, which is just infuriating. Um, but I mean, that's, they, that's- they, you know, your, your imagination might fill, you know, with ideas about Oxford University Press, but they have been wonderfully supportive of this whole kind of direction in music education for absolutely. years now. Yeah, no, Norm is like, I love what he's doing and all of the books. To me, they're the publisher that are on the bleeding edge, putting out all these fantastic books that are that are really kind of mandatory for any music educator's library, let alone a technology person. But I'm, I'm I mean, thrilled they are to too, because it's a it's an emerging branch. Like, yeah, just it's a like, growth industry. <laughs> you know, you can almost associate like individual publishers with all of the other music methods that are out there, and all the good music tech pedagogy books are under Oxford right now. Yep. Um, it's it's incredibly supportive, and uh, yeah, I mean, the only the only real unsupportive things he told me not to put the word manifesto in the title because it has <laughs> negative associations, but that was so, a good note. So here's a million dollar <laughs> question because I wrote a book about 10 years ago called making music with garage band and mixed craft with my good friends, Richard McCready, Mike Fine and Robin Hodson. And basically the problem with that book, um, even though when we wrote it, everything was perfectly usable is that three years later, it's a doorstop because, you know, when you, uh, what Ethan was just saying, either whether it's future proofing and or feature proofing, um, you know, so the, the million dollar question is like, what, you know, sometimes people get intimidated and they go, well, if I buy this book, I have to buy this software to make it relevant. So what, what was your approach to the kind of programs that people need, or is it software specific or is it really kind of agnostic? 
that's the hardest thing honestly like what you're just describing that's like a bulk of our like phone calls as we were heading into this project um still towards even the end we were debating you know whether to you know put something about Ableton in the subtitle or not and our approach with this book was you can use any software you like to do the examples we're going to show them using this software because we need you to have show to an example it. in something, right? Like, right. Uh, I mean, because the alternative was coming up with some sort of like ambiguous looking fake DAW to put all the examples in. And that just seemed like not what we wanted to do. Um, it is, is different than interactive composition where- Yeah, like, that is a book about Ableton. That is a very software specific book. And like- you know, I've, I've observed what you're talking about, where it's like after a few years, uh, you really need to update it. Um, this book is hopefully more future proof than that. But I mean, only time will tell. We'll see what, uh, you know, who knows, maybe in five years, everybody's wearing VR goggles to make their music or something. And, and you'll have to update it to uh, the second edition or third edition by then. <laughs> exactly. The main, yeah. The main thing is, is that the book is light on procedural step-by-step -step instruction. You right. are largely on your own for how this stuff works in the software. And we did that on purpose because first of all, instruction on the specific pieces of software at this point is well-supported, like it's out there. If you need a book about GarageBand, it's out there. If you need a book about Ableton, it's out there. But also like my students don't use Ableton for the most part. They mostly use Soundtrap and a minority of them use GarageBand. So even though I'm doing all my in-class demos on Ableton, they're doing all their projects in other DAWs. And right. like, we feel like DAW agnosticism is just the way you got to be in this world. And to no, I, I, I tried to, we tried to divide up projects too, in a way that uh, people can adapt because like they're not presented in like the order that I teach them in necessarily. They're presented by um, like broad timeless techniques that are just kind of classic ways of dividing tasks like the section on just audio projects let's separate that from the section that's on midi projects and they both go from like beginning to advanced but um i think that that you know we tried to tap into things that have emerged as universal ways that everybody likes to teach music tech uh versus just this is my favorite way of sequencing everything now, that said, there are some things that are specific to Ableton Live, namely clip launching, right? This right, is a right. thing that, but we are noticing more and more DAWs are starting to incorporate clip launchers. And if I were Ableton, I would be like getting the lawyers together to go after them. But like Logic has a clip launcher in it now. FL Studio has one. Um, so the, yeah, you know, it's at this moment that those sections of the book are somewhat Ableton specific, but hopefully in three years, they will actually be more relevant to users of other DAWs rather than less so. No, I agree completely. A lot of times when a, when a company, I mean, I run a music software company and when my competitor comes out with a feature, you're damn right. I go, I go back to my developers <laughs> and go, all right, how do we do this? Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you completely that, that kind of, you know the the concepts um, eventually come around, but why don't you why don't you walk us through like one of the lessons, or I, I don't know if you can do that, but you know basically ooh, ooh, yeah, I, I would love to do this. Let's yeah. do that. Okay, so um, one of the uh, lessons is about a subgenre of electronic music called future bass, 
And this is not something we expect that you've heard of necessarily. I'm, not, I'm, a, I'm an old deadhead. So I, you're, you're talking Swahili. Deadheads me. love future base. All right, good. So, All right. Okay. So, so the first thing out of the gate we discuss is like, how do you deal with the many, many subgenres that are in electronic music? Um, because it's less like rock and roll where you can say classic rock and you kind of know what that means uh, because lots of bands are examples where like electronic music is like maybe one or two artists are the examples of that subgenre, and then it changes to something else in a year or two. Um, so with the project instructions is also kind of how do you present something that's got an inherent shelf life so we talked through like how this initially was a dubstep project, which then I realized was becoming uncool and then turned into like a, an alternate version of the dubstep project. And then eventually we get to future bass, which is what that style eventually morphed into. So, so what is this style is um, if you picture uh, probably the quickest way to picture it is either like you know, uh, Flume is on the radio sometimes. Yeah, that song, Never Be Like You. Uh, that's an example of a future-based song. A lot of YouTube intro music has that sound to it. And so like the challenge is how do we make these like seventh chords and this cool filtered synth? Okay, that's like the initial like outset. So it's like, what we do is we show how to break this genre down into like it's it's tropes and these are like the components that have to be there for that genre to work so our goal is to present the minimum possible number of steps to recreate this genre uh, so that the students even at a at a basic performance kind of level can do it and it will sound like this style and the advanced ones will have plenty of customizing opportunities so like for instance instead of teaching like seventh chords on the piano for this we show a way to take chromatic note input, split it into four notes using something that can add notes to your note input um, to make a chord and then filtering that through a scale to give it this like diatonic seventh chord. So no matter what you play, you're getting something that sounds like that style. Right. And, and you know, and, and we kind of walk you through like, okay, then you need to make the drum beats this way, then you need to do this. And, and then you kind of zoom out and say, this needs to have like a big section and kind of a low section. So like you've got an intro that's like extended and then you've got a drop and the drop is all gonna sound the same because that's where you signal where this is future based. So everybody's drops kind of sound similar, but the intro sections, they can take a lot of different paths with that. So like that's towards the end of the project is, here's the part where kids can branch off and really put their own voice into it. Um, and the projects kind of go in varying degrees of uh, this is like a prescribed task we have versus here is totally customizable, but uh, most of them start with some sort of trope that the project has to have. And then it, it eventually allows more freedom so that by the end of it, your advanced students and your beginner students that are in the same room together can stay on pace together and all have like a satisfying result, which is the real magic trick that the projects pull off, I think. Cool. Yeah, I mean- Go ahead, Ethan. Oh, the, the, the one thing that every music tech program is going to have in common is 
like no filter on the students coming in the door. Like some of them will have never touched a musical instrument before. And some of them will have been, you know, playing guitar for 15 years. And, you know, some of them will already be like DJing at a professional level, you know, when you're dealing with college students. So, right. How on earth could you possibly do something that serves all of these people? And so, you know, a lot of the book is about designing stuff with low floors and high ceilings. Like you want, you want to scaffold it enough that somebody who has never touched a computer or a musical instrument before can walk away with something that sounds recognizably like music, but keep the ceiling high enough, keep it open-ended enough that somebody who is very advanced will be able to push themselves um, without kind of hitting the constraints too hard. That's awesome. I love the the way you guys work together then, because basically, Will, you're you are like it, you know, in the very specifics of of how to recreate a genre. I don't know if either of you remember this software. It wasn't popular, but it was one of my favorites of all time, called Secret Composer. And Secret Composer, I think a guy named Gary Gutman made it. It was incredible. And basically, what he would do is he'd like pick apart Western film music you know, and what made it sound Western. And then you'd have like, look, if you want this, this is the chord you need. This is the rhythm you need. And then you'd go and say, oh, oh my God, I'm going to do that. And you'd go in and you're like, next thing you know, you've written the next Magnificent Seven um, based on these kind of somebody pulling up the curtain and saying, this is why horror music sounds like horror music. (laughs) So in a way, the genre is what you're saying, um, Will. I love the idea of it's almost like a recipe to say, look, if you want your music to sound like this, here are the elements that you need. And then what Ethan, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ethan's going, all right, and then this is why you need to do this. And this is how, you know, to scaffold it and how to get it so that every kid in the room is is getting something different, but also something meaningful out of that same lesson. That's a great description of of how we work together. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. I mean, like (laughs) with, with all of this, you know, the it would be nice if we could just focus on, all right, you know, here are practical approaches to doing this, but, you know, we did have to spill a lot of ink on why this is a good idea in the first place. Um, you know, what, and, and the why is really like technology has made it possible to teach music as an art class at any level of sophistication, like for the first time, yep. right? Like if you want to teach composition, you, there's a lot of prerequisite knowledge. If you want to teach jazz improvisation, you need a lot of background. Um, but you know, being able to make beats suddenly—it's a thing that you can do with you know sixth graders on their phones if you have to. Um, and so now that this opportunity exists, I mean, we feel like, well, that creates a responsibility, you know. And, 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 you know, and it you really just... upends a lot of what we were taught in college about how composition works and how to teach it, because a lot of the classical methods. They, they assume that you kind of need to learn piano first and you kind of need to learn about a lot of music performance first. And uh, most people in the music industry, you know, they do play something, they do perform something, but a lot of them skip the formal steps uh, and go straight to the, the sonic result they're looking for. So uh, we're kind of teaching in a way that tries to be uh, yeah, reflexive of that. Yeah, so you, you just hit on, both of you just hit on what I think is the, um, perhaps the, the, the elephant in the room for a lot of music educators, and that is that they're not music creators. Um, they, they, they came up through a performance kind of based comp, uh, program, 
and they may not have ever a felt that they even could compose, but b never were exposed to a composition or a composition pedagogy. Certainly, at an undergraduate program, I think there's only a handful that would even come near that. But I, 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 I in terms of advice, um, let's say you're a music educator. You're you're interested in music tech. You've been trying to figure out for the last year what the heck to do during COVID and, and people say, oh, get your kids to compose. You're like, oh, okay, great. But you don't have any experience yourself. Um, what advice would you give to music teachers in that position where they, they don't feel like, for example, uh, I taught jazz band, I'm a tuba player and I know how to <laughs> improvise a bass line, but never once in my life in any gig I ever had did they say maybe once in a Dixieland band, they said, you know, give us a solo tuba. You know, I was just making up walking bass lines. So when, when I taught jazz band and the lead trumpet player goes, how do I improvise? I was like, <laughs> I don't know. You just do. I, I don't know. Just play, like pick a scale and play it. I had no idea because I didn't feel confident enough. I wonder what your advice, both of you, we'll start with Ethan, your advice to a music teacher who has no composition experience themselves trying to teach kids how to compose. I would start by examining the word composition. Um, Very we, good point. <laughs> Love it. We, 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 we try to avoid it. And, and music composition is a wonderful art, and it is one that is well worth teaching. Because of things like note flight, it is possible to do that with complete musical novices also. But we want to create a clear distinction between composition and production or songwriting or beat making. Because Technically, there's a lot of overlap between those things. And like, you know, Note Flight is basically a MIDI sequencer with a different interface to it, right? Yep. But in terms of the cultural associations, they're quite different. And in terms of the presumed knowledge. So um, the, you know, the, the big challenge for a lot of these things, and certainly for us, is the kids are going to know this music much better than us. Um, but we know, yeah, I mean, we know what scales are. <laughs> Right. Like we have a lot of, you know, there. So, you know, it, it is not going to be a situation where you're going to go in there and say, okay, gang, I am an expert on dubstep and I'm going to teach you about dubstep. No, it's more like I am an expert on quarter note triplets, right. And like Phrygian mode. And you guys are an expert on how this music is supposed to sound. And so together we are going to like help each other kind of over this mountain. And, and we also, we really encourage teachers in this kind of context to think of themselves more as enthusiasts and less of as experts. So absolutely. So when you're presenting something that's about like a timely genre, you're not saying I'm, you know, from this world, you're just saying, here's, here's some things that I've noticed that are in common. And, you know, my background, I can notice things about music. So that's, a place where it is helpful to have a musician expert even talking about pop music. I, I would say for the, like a teacher trying to get started, um, you know, first off, teachers that are in pre-service, you know, encourage your professors to address this stuff. Yep. Because uh, that's a big yeah, for sure. Ask for right it. now. Um, second is just, it, let's say you're thinking about doing this for real. You have a group of students, you've got whatever resources you need already to try to do this, uh, make some things on your own first and look up how to make them how you want. So like, if you're thinking, you know, I want to do a remix. Well, I, I remember when I was at that stage and I was like, I love remixes. I don't know how they work. I don't know how you do them. And I just had to like 
make them for a little bit and figure out, okay, version one of that took me like three hours to do. Uh, let me start from scratch again and, and make it more digestible this time that I can picture students maybe following along. And then as you start to do projects yourself, um, I started to come up with like a ratio for like how long something would take me versus how long it would take a group of students. And like, that's really what you're already doing with your music classes when you're saying, okay, we need to learn the major scales. You know, you're not going to do that all in one day in one sitting, you're going to pace that out over several right. years, probably. So uh, it's just like that, where it's like, okay, they can probably handle one new technique and one big takeaway about music from each project. And that kind of becomes the guiding principle of like, how much am I going to cram into one project? If it feels like I have to cram a million things into this project, it's not fully baked yet. I need to simplify this down to something that fits uh, an or like a normal teenage attention span and feels successful after about a week and a half. <laughs> so that's cool. my recommendation is do it yourself. I couldn't agree more. Um, all right. So uh, the, the clock on the walls tell me I have to... Uh ask my last question, which uh, I ask everybody, which is the old magic wand question. Now, um, we've talked really about kind of agnostic, you know, digital audio workstations all day, but anything you want, you can wave the magic wand, Ethan, and change something about music technology. What would it be? Uh, I would like the software to start making recommendations rather than simply offering you options. So- Interesting. Um, and this is something that actually there, you know, I, I've got some friends who are like artificial intelligence researchers and they are working on this. Oh, cool. Like, I would like it so that, you know, you just sing something into the mic and it is able to guess. Sounds to me like you're aiming for Mixolydian mode. It's like a little, a little clippy pops up and it's right. like, are, it looks are, like you're trying to write house music. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You know, and, and so it's not the computer making the music for you, but just offering up some suggestions that you could then accept or reject. Love, absolutely love. Um, and we're probably not that far away from that, are we? I think, oh, they're uh, working on it. Very cool. Uh, Will, your, your advice. I mean, excuse me, what magic wand? Magic wand. I mean, if, if you could take some of the positive aspects of native software and cloud-based software and merge them, uh, some combination of that, like, okay, for example, you can stream like a game, right? That right. a game needs like native processing power, but they've found ways to stream games. So why couldn't we find a way to stream professional apps too? Um, just I love a it. Thought. Just I a mean, thought. to me, to me, the idea of having a cloud-based version of Ableton, uh, yes, please, is, the, Ableton, is literally the listening. brass ring. <laughs> please. And and I mean, I guess from a more practical, like you know, possible in my you know lifetime kind of thing, uh, I wish that I wish that I could get software with the ease that I can get hardware because it's really easy for me to go to my school and say, I just need $15,000 worth of trumpets or synthesizers or something. 
but that's it's much more difficult when it's software and it's in order of magnitude more difficult when it's software that requires user accounts yep and that believe me i know that i know you know i know you know i just wish that getting because like as we move forward uh, this this has always been a challenge describing this to people in the it department is like technology is the music instrument going forward there's a lot of times where I need a laptop for the same reasons I need a tuba. And uh, I wish that that distinction, I would, you know, if I could wave the magic wand, everybody just gets it and understands, but you know, there's laws and rules to comply with in every state that are slightly different. So well said. Um, that's how I feel. All right. Well, guys, absolute <laughs> pleasure to talk to both of you. I hope that we can meet up in Real life. Your book comes out at the kind of near the end of June. It's called Electronic Music School. You can buy it on Amazon or wherever you find it. Find books like that. Um, guys, best of luck with that. I hope uh, I hope you sell a million copies. And um, and really, uh, I, I can't wait to see you both in person soon. Thanks you too, Jim. Thanks for having. Thanks a lot, Jim. Take care, guys. Thank you for listening to Profiles in Teaching with Technology from Music First. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. If you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening.